He'll make it for sure. Now that's why I backed him on Tab Touch. Hey, Luke. Yes, Gene Simmons. He's probably the best when it comes to this stuff. Thanks, Gene. You've got the touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hello and welcome to Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. And all of a sudden, we're only four weeks away from the end of the NBL regular season. It's been a, a wild ride, and it's fair to say all 10 teams technically can still make the top six. Probably, realistically, nine of them are still in the mix, and that's probably being generous to one of them. But it's a fascinatingly even season, and it's only going to get more interesting over the last last four weeks. And I'm fascinated to get my co-host thoughts on, is it Melbourne United still the title favourites, or... Is it the Perth Wildcats that have now usurped them? We've got no excuses from the Wildcats or the Bullets for, for a tough travel schedule this past weekend. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, unfortunately, continue to spiral, and it's a, a little bit tough to watch right now. Maybe the same old Hawks are coming back as well under Justin Tatum with that potential fairy tale coming to a, a little bit of a, a slide. The fairy tale of the Adelaide 36ers, though, under Scott Ninnis is continuing. We saw a Bryce Cotton, Jalen Adams MVP battle as well on Sunday. Plenty for us to get through after round 16 in the NBL. My co-host this week, Simon Mitchell, former Southeast Melbourne Phoenix coach. Simon, you've got a lot to get through. Yeah, you've, uh, you've filled the agenda, <laughs> so plenty to talk about. Yeah, thanks for joining me once again. We're here, as always, thanks to Hoop7 and Tab Touch. Um Four weeks to go in the season, Simon. I mean, how are you feeling about the way the, the league's placed? Yeah, I feel like it, we're getting over the hump of the season right now. We've got thought the games were a little bit harder to watch. I mean, there's some really good games, but some of them were not so great. Mm. And uh, we're trying to find some consistency in some of these teams. And outside of uh, Perth right now, they're probably failing to find that, really. So, um, yes. yeah, it's going to be exciting, though. I think as we head down the, the straight, uh, just the... The race for the six and the four um, is going to be exceptional. Now, before we get stuck into all of the things on our agenda, since our last show, I saw you pop up on our TV screens as well, Simon. How did you How did you find find sitting alongside old old Gazy? Uh, well, yeah, got the late call up to do um, uh, some, some show on ESPN. I don't watch TV <laughs> shows on uh, uh, the NBL TV show, so I, I wasn't familiar with the jump prior to, to jumping on it. Um, but yeah, no, it was like a pair of old shoes, to be honest, just uh, sitting there yakking about uh, the NBL. So, yeah, it was very comfortable. Enjoyed the enjoyed doing the show. Um, haven't been, uh, haven't received a call to come back. So <laughs> the ratings must have been too good, but, uh, but I enjoyed the experience anyway. I was surprised because once I saw you turn up on the screens, I thought it m- might be something that we're going to see for more of the regular season. We've talked about it a little bit when you've been on the show. I mean, would you like to do more of that sort of work? And also, would you like to to do some of the commentary if you you get you get asked. Well, yeah, you've got to be invited to do that <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, I had some chats in the off-season with, with, with some people at the NBL in regards to that. Um, they wanted to have a chat about it. Said, yeah, I'd be interested in it. And um, that was pretty much where it finished <laughs> off. So, yeah, never heard back and um, didn't chase them up. So, yeah, that was uh, – Andrew um, put the call in to me the other week. Obviously, they, I, I'm assuming – well, I guess they had Trevor on the show previously. Mm, yes, and um 
they wanted to get a, another ex-coach on. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it was short notice. You just put the finger on the dial and, um, yeah, because I'm local, it was easy for me to get there. Mm. No, I actually enjoyed enjoyed you being on, and I'm disappointed you haven't been back, but that that's a good thing for us and it means you can save your, your best stuff for, for us here on the on the show, Simon. What stood out to you from what we saw across the weekend? Like like you touched on, some of the games were a little bit tough to watch, especially the two involving the Phoenix, unfortunately. They're, they're finding it a little bit hard to, to be competitive right now. And we saw some blowouts, but we did see some see some tight games as well. We saw a, a Latmayan buzzer beater for the, for the Taipans against the Hawks. We saw, saw the 36ers under Scott Ninnis continue to get the job done on the road. And it's remarkable to say that we thought they were locked into the wooden spoon for pretty much the whole season, but all of a sudden... If they keep winning, they could they could still end up in a play-in game. And I really was impressed with the way the Brisbane Bullets bounced back from a hiding in Perth and less than 48 hours later to bounce back in Cairns and get that win. Any of those things stand out to you, Simon, or what stood out to you, what we saw uh, across the weekend? Clearly, all three of them um, were big standouts. I guess the uh, Perth Wildcats' dominance mm. over Brisbane and then to come back and defeat Sydney in a, in a blockbuster. Um, Sydney just sitting back in their, uh, in their lazy boy chairs all week and just waiting there on a Sunday afternoon and, and um, getting everyone when they're, they're bruised and battered. But, mm. but yeah, no, I thought that the resilience shown by Perth was excellent. Um, I think one thing we can't overlook also is just the, uh, the dominance of Tasmania over Melbourne United and that, that victory as well. And, and just the concerns, I guess, that we, we should maybe all have a little bit of just with um, what's going on with uh, you know, the absence of Shea Illy. Yep. Um, Melbourne United really need him, and it's never been more apparent than uh, than it was in in this round. Let me quickly run through the results, and then we'll start with Melbourne without Shea. So the round started with the Adelaide 36ers getting their first road win under Scott Ninnis, beating the South East Melbourne Phoenix 110-85, to and then we saw... Like I said, the buzzer beater, buzzer beater from Lat Mayen for the Cairns Taipans to beat the Illawarra Hawks, 93 to 92. Then the Jack Jumpers, big winners over Melbourne United, 107 to 86. Then even bigger winners, the Perth Wildcats over the Brisbane Bullets, 118 to 86. Then on Saturday, the Breakers beat the Phoenix, 106 to 75. And then the the 36ers kept on winning, 96 to 89 in Wollongong against the Hawks. And then on Sunday, the Perth Wildcats kept winning, kept scoring, kept doing a lot of things. Very impressively beat the Sydney Kings 104 to 98, and finally the Brisbane Bullets bounced back to beat the Taipans in Cairns 102 to 84. Let's talk about Shayeli at Melbourne United, Simon. I I go back to last season after one of the throwdowns, and Shay didn't play that game. And I remember somebody asked you a question post match about beating Melbourne without Shay and what an impact he had. And I, I forget who you were missing at the time, but you weren't at full strength either, and you were kind of kind of miffed that there was such a focus put on them playing not at full strength when you weren't at full strength either, but you handled it well and you did talk about the importance of Shea even when you were coaching against him. Now that you've had a chance to look at it, how, how significant is the absence of, of him for Melbourne and should we be concerned that we don't see him back at all this season given the ongoing problems? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure of his, if, if his current situation, mm. um, so I won't, I won't jump the gun and, um, and be too... Uh, I won't prescribe him with a, a seasoning and injury or anything yeah. like that. So I don't know anything about what's, what's happening with him. Yeah. But concerns, yes, I, I have concerns. I, I've got concerns, firstly, for his health, mm. um, that he keeps getting these knocks. And I'd, I'd like to see that not happen because oh, I've said this a few times throughout the year, years, um, that he is my favourite player. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
has never worn a uniform that I coached. Yeah. So uh, I just love the impact he has. I love the way he goes about it, his professionalism. Um, and, yeah, and he's become that player, that I guess, Ryan Brockoff was to the South East Melbourne Phoenix, that mm-hmm. when he's not out there, it's very, very noticeable because they make everyone around them better with the little things that they do. Yep. And the one thing that you could, I know one thing we used to always do when Shay, or what we tried to do when Shay was absent was really go after the point guard and put pressure on them and try and tie them out. A little bit like what they like to do with the tandem of, of Dally and, and Shay, mm. but you could do it the opposite way around when Shay's not there. You know, especially with Chris at the two, he's not the, the most accomplished of ball handlers um, against pressure. Um, but it was uh, it was something that we used to get we used to try and affect. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, I think Melbourne United are, are not quite the weapon today. Now we know that they were missing JLA as well. Yeah. Um, Travers has seen a little bit of time on the sideline recent times as well, so they've not been travelling at, at uh, 100%. But if you go off the win-loss record of the last two years um, with Shea or without Shea, and I know I put a tweet up this week, but I can't, can't <laughs> seem to find it. Uh, they they travelled about 30% win-loss ratio, um, a 30% win ratio when Shea doesn't play. Mm. And they're up around uh, 75% when Shea does play. So it's, uh, it's a huge determinant. We've got a, a rather large uh, portion of basketball to... to ascertain um, when coming to that conclusion and it's not like you know he's only played a hand only missed a handful of games mm. he's missed a lot and looked bad without him no I, I found that tweet 20 25 and 8 with him in the lineup the last two seasons and 5 and 11 without him I mean that that almost just says it all on its own doesn't it it really does I mean that's the the impact that um, that he has and um, yeah he's a special player uh, there's, there's few players that um, affect the game defensively at the level that Shea does, um, that I've seen. Um, you know, Damian Martin was certainly one of those. Dennis Rodman was one of those. Yes. Um, but very, very few through the uh, annals of basketball history uh, affect the game. I, I actually I, I compare him to Deion Sanders mm-hmm. um, in the NFL. Yep. Uh, Deion was a great cornerback, and, and quarterbacks pretty much just refused to throw his side of the field. Mm. So all of a sudden, you're narrowing all the all the congestion is going to be on one half of the field, and you didn't have to ever throw help out at Dion. He just shut everyone down. He was, in, you know, and, and I feel like Shea Illy's that guy um, that you just don't run plays at his guy too often because he just disrupts too much. I think I think we saw the perfect example against the Jack Jumpers. They they did a great job. Melbourne did defensively on Milton Doyle. They denied him the ball a lot. They kept him pretty quiet offensively, but. Because they didn't have the duo, they, they didn't have both Daly and Shea, they couldn't stop Jordan Crawford. And we saw Jordan Crawford get back to back to form. And I can't help but think that that probably doesn't happen if, if Shea's out there. Without a doubt. Mm. No, it's a great matchup for, for Melbourne, um, having Shea on Jordan. And, uh, yeah, Jordan uh, relished the freedom of not being there. So Melbourne's still on top. They're 16-6. and six. Perth, all of a sudden, they're only one game behind. They're 15-7. and seven. They've won six in a row, have the Wildcats. Um all season long, I think everyone has been unanimous thinking Melbourne United is the championship favourites. Do you still think they are? Or would you put the Wildcats either on par with them or ahead of them right now? I think right now, I've got Perth mm-hmm. ahead of them. Yeah, um, I think their fans should uh, feel that, entitled to feel that they're officially favourites. Mm. Um, but I only say that in the absence of Shay yeah. um, and JLA. And I think if those two return... 
And there's obviously a little bit of time left in the season for them to return and Melbourne to regain their mojo. Then I think that um, a full and healthy Melbourne United will be a handful. And uh, the Perth certainly are the form team of the NBL right now and, and, and should enjoy their favouritism. No disrespect to the other eight teams, but right now, would it be disappointing if it's anyone but those two playing off for, for the championship series? I think it would be. Mm. Uh, I don't think anyone's uh, really put their hand up and said we're a contender on a consistent level. Now, we've seen a few teams put their hand up momentarily, mm. um, but those have been the two dominant teams, um, East Coast versus West Coast, um, superstars across the board. That's the series I would love to see. But that, those uh, Tassie Jack jumpers, <laughs> yes. if they come across Melbourne United during mm. the playoffs, anything can happen for whatever reason. Uh, you know, styles make fights and, uh, and they've got the wood on Melbourne United. They just do. Well, if Melbourne needs any more motivation to want to finish first, avoiding Tasmania in that in that semi-final matchup is a is enough on its own, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, I want to get your thoughts on coaching a superstar. So, I mean, you you had Mitch Creek probably as your superstar in your time. I mean, you had other really high quality players as well, but Mitch is the one that stood out. I mean, when you're coaching a superstar, do you coach them differently than another player? I mean, I I love when John really talks about how he handles Bryce Cotton right now, and he just says. I, he's fit enough to stay stay out there as long as he wants to stay. So if he wants to play 40 minutes, he can play 40 minutes. And I basically, I try to get the team to play a way that will get the best out of him, but I try to stay out of his way. I, I couldn't help but feel like watching the game with the Wildcats and the Kings on Sunday that Bryce was allowed to go out there and play to his strengths and didn't come out of the game when the game got tight and, and he put in another great performance. Jalen Adams played pretty well, but I felt like every time it felt like he was either getting into the game or starting to pick up some confidence. He was either, the ball was either taken out of his hands and somebody else was bringing the ball up the floor, whether it was Sean Bruce or somebody else, or he was taken off for a rest. I mean, how do you, what's the, I mean, do you coach a superstar differently to everybody else? Uh, I'm not sure differently is quite the, Mm. I think you coach everyone a little bit differently. Um, Everyone has different personalities and you've got to try and find a way that you can motivate and enable your players to the best of your ability. Now, some you can get up in their faces and scream blue murder into them, or in others you've got to give them a big hug. So I think you, you, you kind of take every player um, at their own, you know, what, what works for them. Now, that doesn't uh, transfer to discipline, okay? Mm-hmm. So discipline, I think, has got to be one on all in the sense that if you've got team rules and they're broken, then, then, then you stand by what your rules are. Um, that's your culture, and everybody abides by that. But when handling people... I think you have to handle people um, differently. Mm. Now, I think John's taken some good advice from someone. Staying out of the way of Bryce <laughs> Cotton has worked for everyone who's coached him. It has. Um, and I, I don't know if he, was, he may have got it infringed upon him a little early in the season. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, he certainly, uh, he certainly uh, got out the way in recent times mm. and uh, they've been a marvellous team to watch. And uh, I think all the, thing, the only thing John needs to do is just make sure that uh, Bryce keeps getting his touches yep. and good things will happen for the first Wildcats. Yep. Uh, no, absolutely. All right, Simon, before we take a break, let me go through one more, one more topic. Let's stick with the Wildcats, but also the Brisbane Bullets. So we've seen teams handle doubleheader road trips differently right across, right across the season. These Friday nights to a Sunday afternoon can be can be tricky sometimes we've handled it better than others and and i mean it's, it's a genuine excuse i think to be tired on a sunday afternoon if you've played it 
the other side of the country. But I was impressed by the attitude of both the Wildcats and the Bullets after the game on Friday night. Neither of them wanted to complain about the fact that they were going to be playing in Sydney and Cairns, respectively, on Sunday. And both of them went and got the win on Sunday afternoon. I mean, what's the best way to handle the situation with a short road trip, first of all? But also, how important is it to have the mindset of not wanting to make an excuse before you get out there? And we've, we've seen teams, especially Adelaide early in the season, have an excuse built in before they even play that Sunday game or the, the second part of the doubleheader. How important is it to have yeah. the mindset where you don't want to complain? Yeah, I mean, everyone goes through it. And, and that's what, I guess, the disappointing part with Adelaide complaining. I think there's an element of fool's gold that some people were celebrating last week when Sydney uh, flogged New Zealand. Mm. I, I, I saw one of the worst two, three zones imaginable <laughs> yes. keep a team to 76 points. Yep. Outside of Jordan Hunter, who was exceptional in the zone, um, protecting the rim, mm. there was just gaps everywhere, and New Zealand were able to find them. They just didn't put the ball in the hole. Yeah. And I, I thought the celebration of, oh, you know, that was great to see their back. Um, mm. Offensively, they were, they were brilliant. At Cindy Kings, this yeah. was against New Zealand the round yes. before. Yep. They were brilliant. You know, the, the ball moved. The, the, there was way more touches in the half court. It was popping around. Um, they shot the ball well because of it. I we th- also I, I, had I think New Zealand. Me- who was, I think from memory, it was seventy six percent. They shot at half time, but yeah, like yeah, was, yeah, it was something ridiculous. Yeah. But you know, the ball was popping around, and, and New Zealand was just a, you know a fraction slow, closed out. They copped their whipping and, and went home, and, and everybody celebrates the Sydney Kings. But you've got to put it in perspective. They've sat back in their company chairs on the Sunday and waited for New Zealand who had to do the extra travel, get there and they've just put them to the sword, which is fine. That's what happened. And New Zealand take it on the chin continuously, always have, Mm -hmm. and they go about their business. um, And I think that's the way to go about it. Now we saw Perth, you know, turn around after playing Brisbane at home. Now, admittedly, they could probably turn the the Jets down a little bit early in that game because that was a a Mm. contest that was over fairly early. Yeah. Um, and, and, and keep a little bit of fuel in the uh, in the engine for that Sydney game, and it certainly came in uh, mm. handy. But it's a long trip from Perth to Sydney, and even longer for Brisbane <laughs> to get up to yes, Cairns. Um, and, uh, and and they were brilliant. Both teams were excellent in uh, taking care of their business against the odds. Mm. What did you find was the toughest road double to to do? What did what did even as a coach? What what took it out of you the most for that second second half second half of a doubleheader game? What did you find the toughest part about it? Um, well, there's there's been a few. Uh, I I think the New Zealand trip's always tough, especially mm. if you don't get them to Auckland. Yeah. Um, because you usually got a connecting flight. You're usually at the airport at four a.m. Um, there's the time difference, and you know, you're on a seven o'clock flight or you're up at four, you're at the airport at five, you've got the seven o'clock flight because it's international, you have to be there, and then you've got to fly to some other part of the country. That, that can always be difficult. Yeah. Um, I know that, um, you know, we, we had a, a road trip where we played Perth in Perth and then had to fly back to Melbourne um, and then jump on a bus at like 10 o'clock at night mm. and drive to Bendigo yes. for like a 12 o'clock tip-off the next day against guess who, Melbourne United. Um, and, and, and I remember that one being tough, but I remember us really, I think that galvanised our group because whilst we didn't beat Melbourne in Bendigo, um, even when we landed, like everything was shut. Mm-hmm. You know, it was 10 o'clock and everything was shut and we, we couldn't get a bite to eat. So it was, it, was, it was a tough trip from that perspective. And then the quick turnaround um, to get to, 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 to Bendigo. And, but we, we, we really finished the game off well. 
Um, we came from a bit of a margin down and made a game of it. I think Yanni Wetzel may have had a costly turnover down the stretch, which resulted in maybe losing by eight in the end. Mm. And, but we were right in it. You know, we could have gone either way with like 90 seconds to go. I just remember our group, you know, talking to the group afterwards and just, you know, thanking them for the character that they showed yeah. um, and thanking them for representing the team in the way that you should. Every time you take the floor to the best of your ability, but it's pretty easy to make excuses. Um, it's pretty easy for players to get in their own head. Mm. And as we talked about, we saw that in Adelaide. And, uh, you know, it's very, very disappointing when it happens. Um, and it happens to everybody at some stage. Yeah. But it's very, very disappointing when, when, when players let themselves off. Yes, no, absolutely. All right, Simon, that's been a good first segment. Let's take a break. We've got a lot more to talk about when we come back after hearing from Tap Touch. He'll make it for sure. That's why I backed him on Tap Touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Okay, back on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. I'm here with Simon Mitchell once again this week. We talked a bit about the Perth Wildcats earlier, Simon. I want to get your thoughts in a bit more detail about what you're seeing from them because I, the turnaround has been amazing since they lost that game at home to the Brisbane Bullets, which, which seems like a lifetime ago now, but we all felt like that was potentially the, the tip of the iceberg in a bad way where everything was going to you know fall off a cliff after that, but... The turnaround's been incredible. They've won 13 to 15 games since then. They've scored 100 points or more in the last six games in a row. They've won won all six of those games. It's not just Bryce either. I mean, Ty Webster running the point has been a masterstroke, the way that John Reilly's got him playing. You've got Hiram Harris doing terrific things. Christian Doolittle doing a lot of great things. Jesse Wagstaff is playing such an important role that it makes you wonder why he wasn't playing in the first half of the season, I, I guess. But um, And then Keanu Pinder is really stepping up as well. Um, what do you see that the Wildcats are doing so well? The, the, the greatest improvement from last year for me is their uh, defensive uh, element they brought yeah. to the team. Yeah. Um, now, Doolittle obviously brings a little bit of that, as does Hiram Harris with his physicality and... Uh, um, you know, they've got a little bit of rim protection now, um, which hasn't been traditionally mm. where Perth have been strong. Yeah, I think their efforts at the defensive end have been a huge improvement. I still think there's room for them to improve on the defensive board. Mm-hmm. still think that's an area where they can fail at times. Um, but the other thing is just that I think they keep the ball alive a lot more now. Um, you know, last year they were a really poor rebounding team at both ends. But I think this year, from the offensive standpoint, their offensive rebounding has been really good. Um, uh, in comparison to the previous year. So they're, they're around the middle of the table in regards to numbers, um, but they're up over 30%, which is you know up where the, the great Perth teams used to be. Yep, yep. Um, and I, I think those extra opportunities... And, and Bryce is so dangerous from the offensive rebounds. Mm. Like if you go back to the, the game against South East Melbourne last year in, in, in the playoffs, you know, we, we had that game under control um, at three-quarter time. And they were one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the league, and we're one of the yes. best defensive rebounding teams. And then, out of the blue, they just started getting every offensive board and kick it out. And there's Bryce, bang, mm-hmm. three. Oh, there's Bryce again, bang, three. Yes. And it was all off offensive boards. We did an all right job of shutting him down uh, in, the, in the half court, but it was, uh, it was the second opportunity shots. And, uh, you know, that, to me, was the first time we saw Perth all year long really look good in that, in, in, in that element. And uh, we've seen that improvement this year, and I think those second shot opportunities 
along with their defense, has been um, has been exceptional. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right because their offense was really good last year. They were tough to stop. They were scoring probably similar numbers, but all of a sudden, if they can maintain that offensive level, but also be better defensively and better rebounding, that's that's where the improvements come. And I guess that's why you feel that they're they're the title favorites right now. Yeah, no, I, I feel like right now with the roster that Melbourne United put out on the weekend, I feel like Perth would win a series. Mm. Yeah, so the one thing that they've carried on since Trevor's days is that they still look after the ball really well. Yep. Um, I think from the eye test, they feel like they're more active with their hands at the defensive end as well. Yeah. Um, I know that you know Travers used to used to jump the lanes pretty well and get turnovers, or create turnovers, create the break um, from that perspective. But I feel like there's more people contributing in that area again this year. Mm. And uh, yeah, no, I think there's been improvement across the board, and they've maintained their offensive their offensive flow. So um, yeah, good times for the uh, Red Army. <laughs> yes, um, the team they beat on on Friday night they beat the Bullets by 32 points, and I had concerns for for the Bullets because they had to fly back to Brisbane, fly up to Cairns, and play on on sun, Sunday afternoon, and it had the potential to be a horrible weekend. But I loved Justin Schiller's approach after the game on Friday night. He just said, "All, all that matters now is how we." how we respond. I mean, we put this behind us and we need to need to respond. And he had confidence that his team would respond. And they were terrific on, on Sunday. They outplayed the Taipans from, from, from the start. They made it a focus to, to go inside and, and Baines and Harrison were, were terrific. How, how tough is it to put a 32-point loss behind you and then stay on the road, go into a, a hostile environment in Cairns and, and get a dominant win like, like they did? Well, I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to come back after a difficult road trip like that when you've lost by 30 mm. than it is if you've lost in overtime. Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> I mean, sure. you're going to have a little more fuel in the in the tank to, to come back in that second game. Yep. Um, the other thing also is as a player or a competitor is that you just can't wait to get back out there and rectify the situation. Um, obviously, the pride's on the line after getting your, your tail handed to you in the manner that they did by Perth. And, and, and look, it was a great effort by them. Um, it is a Extraordinarily tough trip from Perth to Cairns, regardless of the result on the Friday. And yeah, look, Justin did a great job of rotating his players as well in that second game. Yeah, you know, there was it was quite. A, it just felt like everybody was uh, fresh, and uh, there was quick rotations. And yeah, I thought uh, I thought they they did an excellent job. It was great to see. Really happy for Justin. Really happy for the uh, Brisbane faithful who saw some pretty rugged times last year. Mm. Um, and especially happy for my man Dmac. Yes. Um, to, to see the winning, but yeah, let's hope. I, I really hope it'd be a great story if Brisbane can keep this rolling. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Uh, mm. There seem to be you know, three games on, three games off uh, all year long. And, uh, yeah, just hope that with a handful of games to go, they can string a few more together. Let me know your thoughts on Aaron Baines. I mean, going back to Kansas is as close to a homecoming for him as there is in in the league. He, he grew up up in far north Queensland and still proudly calls himself as coming from that, that sort of area. He clearly hasn't hasn't endeared himself to the, the Orange Army up there, though. I mean, it's, but it also seemed like the louder the booze got for him, the more that spurred him on it. What it reminded me of was Mark Worthington every time he would come back to, to Perth, and he loved playing that, that villain role and wanted to hear the booze and probably didn't feel like he was doing his job unless he was hearing hearing the booze. What did, what did you make of, of Bainesy's performance up in, oh. up in Cairns? He probably had one of his uh, one of his best games of the season. He did, you know, like he was. Uh, I think he's, he's he's been pretty average mm-hmm. um, at best, given his reputation and I guess expectation um, that 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 some uh, would have of him. 
Um, I don't think anyone, I don't think he's exceeded anybody's expectations. No. I think he's, uh, he's found the NBL a little bit difficult with regards to the refereeing. In, and I think he gets a bit of latitude, like more mm-hmm. more so than some. Uh, I think he's allowed to wiggle and move, and his uh, his, his elbows can sit outside his body cylinder a little more. And uh, he doesn't get a rough trot, mm-hmm. I don't think, compared to you know, some of the other bigs floating around the yeah. league. Um, he does bring some of it on himself, but if he can keep himself on the floor, if he can stay focused mentally, I, I feel like there's a, a role for him to play now. Quite often in the finals, in the playoffs, the, the game becomes a little bit more half-court and yep. you need the bigger guys to hold up and end. And, you know, I think he's someone with his experience that he can play a really key role. But uh, I said pretty early in the season, um, you know, he handed over the starting spot to Harrison through his behaviour. Mm-hmm. And I think Harrison's taken that starting spot and run with it and it will never go back. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think Bainsey, for the remainder of his career, is probably going to be that backup player. And if he wants to play the villain's role, uh, you know, with less responsibility, um, I think he could find a, a real niche. And, and there is a niche for, the, for that guy that comes in with a physical uh, presence. But you've got to accept the physical hits when they come back as well. And I think that's probably the area where I get a little disappointed in, that he's uh, prepared to lose his feet, throw himself to the floor and, and hold his jaw a little too long when it's just a little yeah. clip. But he, he does, doesn't like it if someone does that, if, if he runs into them, though, does he? No, and, and that's and that's where my my criticism probably stems from. And that I'm all for blokes who, who like to play physically and shell it out, but you've got to be able to accept it. Yeah, it just yeah. can't be one. You touched on Tyrell Harrison. He's he's one guy that has exceeded expectations, and he's given Justin Chiller no choice but to keep him in that starting lineup through his performances. I mean, he he just has he demands that he starts and finishes games because he's playing so well. I mean, 32 points and 22 rebounds across the two games this weekend. From him, I think he was their only shining light in the loss in Perth, and then he he backed it up in Cairns on on the Sunday. You've talked to, you've talked before about how highly you rate him and how you hope that he continues to finish out his career in Brisbane. But is he even surprising you a little bit just how well he's playing right now? Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's surprising me. I think what I've enjoyed is that he's there every game. Yep. You know. And we've not seen that for him for the last few seasons. He seemed to have been a little bit injury prone. Mm. But it's great to see a big fella get a run and get on a get on a bit of a tear. And he he was excellent. Yeah, you know, he very very nearly got himself an award this weekend. But um, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's certainly he's had an exceptional season. Um, he solidified that starting role. That's his moving forward. And uh, I think next year, you know, with the further emergence of uh, Rocco Sikowski, oh, I think they're going to be, you know, one of the teams that are going to have that two-headed monster, which we've seen do very, very well this year in regard to they'll be United and China can do very, very yeah. well. Last thing on the Bullets. Last time we spoke, we talked about what you what you thought we might get from Casey Prather with the Bullets. Up until Sunday in Cairns, I don't think we'd seen a lot to get too excited about. So he he played two games on minimal minutes and then he missed two games after being unwell. But I think in the patches we saw up in Cairns suggest that he might still have a have a pretty important say if he even if he's only playing ten to fifteen minutes a game over these last four games for the Bullets and maybe some playoff games, that he could still make a bit of a difference. Yeah, I I think with the, the evenness of the league and the ability pretty much for anybody to make the finals right now, if you can just string a few together, you don't want to be matched. You don't want to be facing Casey Prather in a playoff mm. series. Mm. He, he just thrives in that situation. He's mentally very tough, and uh, he knows that that's when he thrives. He, he enjoys those moments the most. 
look, the guy hasn't played in two years. And like for him to have a little bit of ring rust, oh, I think is, is excusable. Yes, um, but uh, look, he's, he's a, he showed a little bit of quality there on Sunday. And, and look, I hope his knees hold up, mm. and I hope that they can just slowly bring him along, and he can maybe get up over twenty minutes a game, maybe into the mid twenties by the end of the season. And if we if they can, geez, they, they've got a lot of depth. They've got some uh, they've got some depth across the board. They they absolutely do. I think they've. Probably along with Melbourne and Perth, they're probably the next deepest team. Team, and I think Justin's built that team deliberately to be that be that way. Um, and they're, they're they're another one of those teams that haven't played at full strength. I mean, even you know they seem to be missing at least one one player every 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 game. And yeah, they've, they've done well to get to twelve and twelve. And it's probably tough to see them not making the top six. Whether or not they finish in the top four, or probably you know it's probably up to them and Sydney right now. You'd probably almost think. Yeah, oh, look, who knows? <laughs> uh, a weekend can just turn the tables yeah. so dramatically. You know, Brisbane drop a couple and they're next, then they're, they're back around the bottom. If they win a couple in a row, they're solidifying a top four spot. So that's how crazy it is. Yeah. South East Melbourne Phoenix, this is, it's tough to watch them right now. It's tough to, it's t- I, I really feel for Mike Kelly right now, and we'll get to that in a second. But given your history at the club over the last, Last four years, I mean, the numbers are, are ugly. They've lost their last five games, eight of the last nine. They've lost those by an average of twenty-five points. They're only averaging scoring seventy-eight points a game. They haven't scored more than eighty-five points in the last nine games. From your perspective, and you've got a very unique perspective, how tough is it to watch them right now? Oh, I, I very nearly shut the game down this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I watched the Adelaide game, and I was I was really happy for Adelaide. Like I, I was, you know, they've seen some dark times, and and I'm not that emotionally connected to teams in the NBL or even my own teams, being you know, ex Phoenix and ex Melbourne United. Yeah, I, I'm emotionally connected to people on each teams, and so I like to see them do well. Um, I've loved seeing Scott Ninnis do well, yep. um, and you know, as an old 36er, the romance of bringing the, the you know the favourite son back and. Mm. You know, he had a rough time of it last time he was head coach and to see a little bit of success and, you know, like it, it, there's some romance in that and, and I've enjoyed that. So, and also enjoyed watching Galloway mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and Trey Cowell. So, so I enjoyed from a different perspective what was going on in that game. But I was devastated for what South East Melbourne put out on the floor and, and like it was, the game was so far and away over at half time. Yep. That I struggled to go back to it in the second half, but then I was like, well, just focus on the Adelaide blokes and the, the guys that you want to see do well and talk myself back into it. But it got harder in the, as the weekend went on, especially in the Breakers game, where unless, unless Dane Panay was going to get some minutes out there, I didn't have a lot of investment. And um, yeah, it was, just, it was just a tough watch. They're, they're playing really poorly. I don't think anyone's got expectations on them to win games right at the moment, just given the, 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 the personnel mm. that they've lost. Um, and the lack of, you know, I know that they're probably only a couple of soldiers down right now. Although a couple of murmurings say that there may be more, mm. but uh, or more injuries that have been carried. But yeah. Uh, yeah, look, you want to see some fight, and, and and I'm not sure we're seeing the fight um, and the pride that you know is the price of entry for a player, and and, and that's that's unsustainable. 
you know, that's got to that's got to change between now and the end of the season. That that has to change um, because you know it's hard to survive those sorts of uh, those sorts of efforts and those sorts of results. Mm. You don't want to rely solely on your imports, but it's only natural that you need your imports to to be out there and to be playing at a high level and to be setting the standards if you're going to be successful. So right now, we know Alan Williams is done for the season. Gary Brown, whether or not he's still not 100% healthy or his mind's not in it, I'm not sure, but he didn't have a, it's fair to say he didn't have a good weekend. And Abdul Nader just hasn't adjusted to the league and hasn't found a way to really, really make, make an impact. I mean, it's it makes it tough when you're starting with three imports that aren't giving you what you what you need, either from a physical or a form perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, with, with Big Saw's out for the year, you know, that leaves them a little bit limited up front. Yeah. Gary Brown, I believe, doesn't look healthy. To see him get his pocket picked twice, and I know Park Jackson Carter is, is a really quick player, but so is Gary Brown, and those handles are pretty crazy mm. um, that he's got. And to see that happen is a pretty good indicator of where his health is at, I believe, mm-hmm. um, that he just doesn't have that explosiveness. He, he, he just couldn't take off yeah. from what I'm seeing. And, yeah, look, it, it, it's sad to see him going through what he's going through right now because he's capable of so much more and uh, clearly being inhibited by his health. I, I thought it was always going to be a, a tough ask for Abdul Nader I'd probably disagree a little bit and say that we haven't seen much from him. I, I think there's been glimpses. Yep, yep. But as we've seen with so many players come into our league, making the adjustment to the whistle yeah. in Australia is a little bit unique. Yeah. Now, I thought some of his fouls uh, on the weekend were just straight up reckless. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, again, it, it can look that way when you've got someone who hasn't played in two years. Yeah. I mean, his fitness levels are, are, are not at the level they probably need to be. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it was, a, it was a smart move by Tommy um, to, to, to have a swing yeah. um, with the change. I mean, obviously, it was brought on by things that happened off the floor. But even on the floor, I, I thought, geez, the loss of Moller, they, they've got to have a three-minute. They've got to replace it. Like, Ruben Tarangi's minutes have not been strong enough to say, well, we'll just go to Rubes. Mm. You've got to, you've got to try and find that play. And, and I mean, you just talked about Casey Prather, who's in exactly the same situation mm-hmm. as Nader, only that he's probably got a little more experience in the NBL and knows how it's adjudicated. And, uh, you know, we're seeing him be brought along. Um, but I think that adjustment period for Nader needs to happen swiftly and he needs to stay on the floor. He's clearly talented, yeah. but, but the Phoenix need him on the floor and playing at a, a good level. The thing I'm most scared about from the Phoenix is that I, I just don't want Mike Kelly to cop the blame for the way things have fall, fallen away late in the season because I, I don't think there's any more he could have done. I mean, it, the injuries they've dealt with and a lot of the issues are completely out of his hands and we know how badly it ended for, for him in Cairns. And I, I've spoken to him about this before and he's, his family's been through a lot, having to move all around the world and around the country so often for his basketball career. And I, I just hope he gets to stay in one place for a while and get a, get a good run at it. Would it be pretty rough if he's the one that has the f- the finger pointed at him for the way this season's turned out? Oh, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to win with the team that's been put on the floor most weeks. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's that's going to happen. I don't care who you put out there. You know, Bill Belichick could be riding the sideline for the Phoenix. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Um, but at the same time, we all live and die by our records. Mm. 
and that's the nature of the beast. And, and Mike's well aware of that. And look, Mike's a mate of mine, and I was nothing would make me happier than to see him turn this around and, and snag a few wins um, between now and the end of the season and maybe even fall into the playoffs. Mm. I don't think it's going to happen, um, not with the personnel um, that he's fielding, but I, I, I just want to see them competitive and fighting for, or fighting for, for to get the best out of themselves. And, and ultimately, for right or wrong, that, that winds up on the coach. Yeah. So I hope the team turn it around. But, yeah, I think there's also an element of realism to the whole situation that, yeah, this is a little bit out of his control. Mm. Illawarra Hawks, they had an instant lift under Justin Tatum and now they've hit a little bit of a, a slide. They've lost their last three games. They've still got seven to play, so they've still got a little bit of wiggle room, so they can still certainly turn it around. But we talked before, you know, when they made the change from Jacob Jacomas to Justin Tatum and you talked about your concerns with the backcourt of Tyler Harvey and Justin Robinson. Now with Gary Clark battling a knee injury as well, um, what do you think about the Hawks? Will they turn it around over the, the last month and, and sneak in? Look, I, I didn't have them. I've not had them in my top six at any stage. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they had their little form run there, I, I still was wanted to see a little bit more. So I'm not going to be Johnny come lately and get on them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I'd like to see them be successful, I, I just it's a tough league. They can be. That, that's what I'll say is I think they can be. I think the addition of Kyle Adams uh, a good pickup for them. I, I don't think Justin Robinson can lead them on his own to the playoffs. Um, I, I think they need a switch up in that uh, point guard position, and I don't think Dave Aiki is the answer. Well, can, um, can I get your thoughts on Justin Robinson's weekend, first of all, then? In those two losses to Cairns and Adelaide, He's your starting import point guard, and across two games he goes for two points, zero of 13 shooting, and three turnovers. Not quite good enough, is it? No. No, I mean, that's, I mean he, he wasn't encumbered by fouls or anything like that, but that's mm. about the production the Southeast were probably getting as well, and you can't win with, with that level, or you, know, you need production out of your, your imports. You know, we've seen it before from him during the course of the year, and, and you know, we've got to be mindful also that he's, he's a player coming off a season-ending injury. Yeah. So my expectations for him for the whole of the year have never been very high. Uh, I think that it's a great opportunity for him to use it as a, a year to get back into into the swing of playing basketball um, after missing last season. But I, I didn't think it was a great signing by Illawarra coming off five wins and then mm. investing in a guy who just missed a year for you and, and, and was not going to be at 100% the following season. So... And we haven't seen the best of him. Um, but at the same time, he's got to be better than what he showed on the weekend. Do you expect Kyle Adam to actually get some court time now that he's been there for more than a week? Would you expect him to play a bit of a role over the next next month? Yeah, I do. I think he can help them. You know, one of the things Adelaide have done exceptionally well against Illawarra and other, other teams do also is that when you get in the pick and rolls is that... Robinson's inefficiency from the perimeter and you know he's pretty poor shooter off the dribble at all three levels um, he's not a great shooting in the three ball he's, he's poor in the mid-range and he's not a great finisher at the rim so you can get under screens and clog the floor a little bit um, and Adelaide have done a really good job of that in their games against them um, he got off the, on them in the second game but in the in the first time they played him in Adelaide he, he went for zero and he had another donut this weekend and um, with Cole Adams out there it, it's a different look you know Dave O'Hickey at the point you can get under the screens for, for, for Wiley Bales um, yes. you'll get under the screens when he's out there as well 
So it clogs the floor up a little bit with those guys at the point. Um, I think with Kyle Adam, you get under a screen, he's going to put it in your eye. So um, it will open up the floor a little bit. You know, I think a guy like Gary Clark, if he's healthy, will really shine with that extra room. Um, you know, you can't key in on Tyler Harvey quite as much um, when you've got a, a shooter on the perimeter. Uh, we saw in the um, in the Adelaide game, you know, they, they, they could really be aggressive against Tyler Harvey and pick and rolls and they were hard showing him and it was pick and pop with Clark and then they'd full rotate and they'd leave uh, uh, Robinson butt naked in the corner and just late close out in their rotations and he just misses shots. Um, if that's Kyle Adnam, he's knocking that down. So I feel like... He could be a, a bit of a key, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and mm. see how he fits in with the team. Uh, he, he just arrived last week. Um, I was surprised they didn't pick him up a little earlier. You know, he's been in the country since before Christmas. Mm. Um, Green has been out for a little while. I, I would have thought it made sense for Illawarra to jump on that pretty quick, and I think they've left it a little bit late. Yeah. Another team that might have left it a bit late, but they've become a great story is the Adelaide 36ers. What Scott Ninnis has done is... He's lit a fire under his group, but I think he's done it very smartly by making Isaac Humphrey such a massive part of everything they're doing and then trusting his backcourt basically to Trey Cal and DJ Vasilovic. And then he's got guys playing great roles. Kyron Galloway's weekend was fantastic. But I think by making those three guys a centerpiece of everything they're doing, it's gone a long way why they've won four of the last five. And, and gee, I mean, if they win four of their, of their last five, they might even make a playing game. It's quite a remarkable turnaround. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And um, yeah, thrilled for Scott. Um, I, I, geez, it's amazing. I, I honestly didn't see this team turning it around the way they have. Mm. Uh, I went down and did a few numbers last night because I was intrigued. Yes, from what I'm seeing, and I, I'm trying to make sense of it. So I wanted to go to the numbers and just just have a look. And so they started the season out, and I thought the one thing Adelaide had made early, early on this year that that. You know, you're trying to find positives. They're one and four to start the year. Um, but the one thing I thought they were better at, I thought defensively they were a lot better than they were the year before. And I think former assistant coach Craig Simpson mm. probably needs to take some credit for that because um, I know that that was the what his role was to bring that. Um, then DJ joins the team. Uh, they're one and four. They, 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 they couldn't put the ball in the hole. They're, they're operating at 99 points per 100 possessions uh, of the offensive end. Um, which is extraordinarily low. Mm. But DJ joins the team now. What you get with DJ is that he's going to fill it up. But also, you're probably going to have to take your hits at the other end. And, and we saw that on the weekend. Hung Jung Lee getting a hold of him at times, mm. um, which, you know, DJ needs to be better there. Um, and, and I think if his fitness gets better. Uh, I think he can make greater impact at the defensive end. But it's not his strong point. But he does put the ball in the hole. And at least the threat of putting the ball in the hole opens it up for others. And, uh, you know, from... That one and four start, we saw their offense really kick in, but unfortunately their defense dropped off. Mm. Um, but what we're seeing right now with Scotty is their offense is continuing to improve, but they're also they're going back, they're improving a little bit defensively from where they were. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been amazing. But Trey Cowell and Isaac Humphreys have just been amazing under the tutelage of Scott Ninnis. Like they're. Their, their roles have been greased. Trey's become the, the, the primary ball handler. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac Humphreys is playing more minutes. He's staying on the floor more, yep. which is important because, you know, he's getting some into foul trouble early in the season, a couple of games. But, but he's just being used better. Um, what they do and when they're exceptional at the offensive end is their early secondary transition offense. 
So just drag screens, um, double drags, punch screens. Trey Cal and DJ Vasiljevic are just going to work. Yeah. Like they're just they're putting their head down and they're trying to create something. And we see the first quarter against Illawarra and pretty much every possession while those two are on the floor is one of those two making the play. And they're either getting themselves a, a shot or they're creating for someone else. But it's all through their aggression. Now, I love that Scott Ninnis has put that in. He's put the responsibility on those two to carry this team. Now, everybody else is going to get opportunities with the crumbs because mm. they're not selfish players and they will lay off the other guys. Um, and Isaac Humphreys has been the main um, guy, but we also saw the pick-and-pop play of Galloway in the last round. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he seems to have a, uh, a bit of a... Uh, and you see this during with teams like him and Nick Marshall. They, they connected a couple of times, and I'm sure they've been on the bench five at training all year long. <laughs> and you can just see them find each other. You know, Nick Marshall coming off the pick and, and, and twice hook passes back to Galloway and he didn't have to look for him. He just knew where he was going to be. And you can see little things like that that are contributing to the uh, to the chemistry being built. But, you know, Trey Cowell was 14 points a game under CJ, shooting the ball uh, at over 40% um, and less than 25 from behind the arc. Under Ninnis, he's at 21 a game shooting the ball at 45% and at 41% from mm. uh, from behind the arc. Um, and Isaac's numbers have gone up even more. So he was at 12 points a game. He's up to 21 a game yeah. under Scotty. So, you know, those two have thrived with the roles and the responsibility, and it's been a, a very enjoyable to watch. But I just love the, the way that Scott's done it. Now, when those two don't get early offense, you see Mitch McCarran come into the game, and he's not a guy who wants to create offensively early. Yeah, he'd rather walk it up at three-quarter pace and kick the ball on and get him into a half court. They're not very good in the half court. They're not a good half court team. When they shoot early and they make a, an aggressive move early, they're, they're more likely to score. So you can see how Trey Cal with the ball in hand at the point playing the majority of the minutes, they're a much better team. Absolutely. And you touched on Kyron Galloway. Without Jacob Wiley this week, and he was one of the guys that when Scott first took over, his minutes went down a little bit, but, you know, I mean, the potential he showed on this weekend, I mean, the two games, firstly against the Phoenix, 23 points, seven rebounds, made five of seven from three and played almost 31 minutes and then backed up 35 minutes against the Hawks, 13 points, six rebounds, three blocks. Made him a pretty obvious choice for the Galen, didn't it? Oh, we jumped the gun there, have we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, look, as I said, Tyrell was under consideration, but yeah, look, I, I love a bloke who just stays ready and he stayed ready He's been a bit of a mystery to me because, like, from afar, and, and, you know, we don't watch the players as closely or in depth as well, obviously, coaches do. And he he didn't get to play much down in New Zealand and he didn't get to play much in Adelaide uh, for, you know, a year and a half under CJ. And and then Scott had him and didn't really throw him into the lineup until Jake got injured. But he's a kid you watch, you're like, geez, he he knocks it down, he, he can protect the rim, he's athletic as hell hell, he's long. What's wrong with it? Why, why is he not getting go? Um, and, and I go back to the Southeast Melbourne game, not this round, but earlier in the season when they came back from 18 down. And I reckon he played the best five minutes anyone's played this season. Mm. He's just come in and absolutely caned Mitch Creek um, a couple of times. And then we've seen it again this round. He, he obviously has a thing for uh, Southeast <laughs> where he feels very comfortable launching yeah. it. And he finds the room against Southeast, and uh, they, they need to, to obviously play him a little, a little harder and a little closer. But, um, but yeah, he's one of those kids where you're just like, geez, why doesn't he play? So 
I watched him a little closer in the in, in the Illawarra game because I'm trying to find reasons for his being seated. Mm. And, and look, I think he can toughen up a little bit. I, I, there was a couple of instances when uh, Lockie Aldridge entered the game, who, as we know, is a very physical player, yeah. and, and he seeks contact. And he inflicted a couple of hits there on, on Galloway, and he made a good position and scrapped for a couple of offensive boards. And I was like, okay, that's the area that, that, that Galloway, that Kyron really needs to key in because he, he looked fallible against that physicality. Yeah. But if you get him in open space, that pick and pop, he's got a quick release. Um, he's water. He's a good player. He, he's got tremendous potential, and he's got that rim protection, which everybody wants. Yeah, no, it's fantastic to see a guy that just stayed a professional. I mean, it's not easy when you see your minutes diminish, but he stayed ready, and now he's getting rewarded. So... All right, Simon, that's been a lot for us to cover. Got himself a Galen trophy. He did. He absolutely <laughs> did. Best team man for round 16. So well done to him. And then we've got a lot to look forward to in round 17 as well after this from Tap Touch. Simon? He'll make it for sure. That's why I backed him on Tap Touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Imagine what you could be buying instead. Okay, back on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle and round 17 of the NBL, Simon. We're here thanks to Tab Touch, so we'll try to help you find some winners. So download the Tab Touch app if you haven't already or head to tabtouch.com.au. It starts with a doubleheader on Thursday night this week, Simon. We're back in Melbourne, southeast Melbourne Phoenix and the Sydney Kings. Do you see any hope for the Phoenix? Uh, I have a little bit of hope for them. I'm hoping that Sydney come out in their 2-3 zone and play it for 40 minutes and give Southeast a shooter's chance. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm just not sure they've got the shooters, though. So, yes. no, nah, I think the Kings in that one. Second up, this is a big game. Perth Wildcats, can they keep their winning form going? So they've won six in a row. They're knocking on the door of top spot. They're pretty much secure, at least in second. But the Illawarra Hawks, if they want to sneak into that top six, this is one that they, they need to win. Traditionally... The Hawks have not been good in Perth, but this might be a, ch- a chance to start turning that around. Each round, you try and think of uh, you know which is going to be the one upset that mm. you'd like to pull out of the hat, and this is not it. Perth at home. <laughs> Perth have had the one on Illawarra for thirty years. I don't see them turning around uh, this week. Yeah, for the for the last twenty years, I've watched a lot of those demolition jobs up close and personal. It's been yep. it's been ugly for a long time. Friday night, this will not be ugly. Well, it actually might be ugly, but it'll be a terrific contest. First up on Friday night, New Zealand Breakers, they rediscovered some of their form last week and got some momentum back, and they're now knocking on the door of the top six. The the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, they found some form as well, and they, they consolidated themselves in third spot. These two teams have some really tough battles. They generally are tight, tough, ugly contests, it's probably fair to say, but what are you expecting? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I don't know. These these two teams are probably two of the biggest Jekyll and Hyde teams, and like you know, you're going to get a close game if Tasmania is going to lose. Yes. That's what you know. Um, but when they win, they win big. But I, I think New Zealand uh, at home, fresh legs. I, I think it'll be a close game. I'm going to back the home team in just. And I was really impressed with Tassie and their demolition to Melbourne. I thought they were excellent. But we just haven't seen it back-to-back, back-to-back mm. from Tassie this year. So uh, I think this, this game means a lot to New Zealand. This is a really important one for them if they want to make the uh, top six. And I think they can, but it's got to start on Friday night at home. Yep. 
Second up on Friday night, this one's fascinating too. So the one team that the Brisbane Bullets have really struggled against so far has been Melbourne United, and they copped them again after another loss. So last time when they got spanked in Melbourne, they copped Melbourne when they were coming off a loss, and unfortunately for Justin Schiller, Dean Vickerman took out his frustration on his Bullets team. This time the Bullets are back at home. They're playing a Melbourne team coming off that loss to Tasmania, but Brisbane, they got some form in Cairns as well. I'm fascinated by this one. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'll go with Melbourne because of the, the form edge they've had against Brisbane. But I, unless Shay Illy and JLA are back in the lineup, mm. it's kind of irrelevant what they did to them last time, right? So yes. I think the Bullets can take a lot of uh, a lot of you know to heart from that that win they had in Cairns. But Melbourne United, not the Cairns type hands, they're a lot better. So I'm going Melbourne in this one, but I, I, I think Brisbane will definitely make a better showing of it than what they have in previous outings against Melbourne. Yeah, no, for sure. Two more games on Saturday. Adelaide 36ers against the Cairns Taipans. Gee, there's definitely not room for both of these two teams to make the top six, and one more loss for both of them is probably Curtin's almost on their, on their season. So this is, a, this is a big game, but expect another big crowd in, in Adelaide, and can they get behind their team? It'd be great, wouldn't it, to, to keep the Adelaide uh, hope alive. We saw Cairns come down Adelaide recently, didn't we? Yes. And, and and get the win. So yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go Adelaide this time. Mm. I, I, I think the backcourt right now of Trey Cal and DJ Vasiljevic is is just really potent. Um, I'm not sure there's going to be any answer from Cairns in regards to uh, Isaac Humphreys. Galloway spreads the floor for them. I just think they're, you know, they're, they're really impressive this weekend, Adelaide. And I just can't trust Cairns at the moment. They're a bit Jekyll and Hyde as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm going with Adelaide in that one. This next one on Saturday scares me a little bit. Could it get as ugly as I fear when the Phoenix host the Wildcats? Yeah, I think it can. Mm. Uh, and the reason why I think that is because there's some very ruthless people on that lineup. And, and I say that with all the admiration in the world. Um, that you want to be ruthless and you want ruthless players on your team. And Bryce Cotton, he doesn't, he's not going to feel bad for Southeast <laughs> no, Melbourne. No. He's going to say, well, yeah, let me put 60 on him. <laughs> um, Ty Webster's not going to be feeling bad for Southeast Melbourne. He's going to be saying, he's going to be thinking, well, what, what can I do that's a little cheeky? A little <laughs> yes. bit loose, I think the term <laughs> yes. might be. Keanu Pinder got his face broken against Southeast last year. He'll mm. have a little something to prize. I think they've got, they've got uh, plenty of motivation. They want that top spot. I think they're. Uh, I think they're going to put a hammering on Southeast. What sort of scoreline could we expect? Do you think? Uh, I'm going to back Southeast in to, to give a little bit more of a yelp than they did against Adelaide. Okay. The, the, the State Basketball Centre is going to be packed. Mm. It's a raucous place. It's very loud. There's passionate Phoenix fans. I think they'll be there, and I think they'll inspire the players. Creaky has a you know has a good record mm. against Perth recent times. Yeah. Uh, he just needs the running mate right now um, to go with him. Yeah, I was just about to say he had thirty. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I'd love to see Abdul Nader chime in with twenty. See Ben Ayres get twenty um, and, and make a game of it. But oh, I feel like the Wildcats by twenty five plus. Mm. Sunday, two more big games. All important for all four teams involved. First up, Illawarra Hawks hosting the New Zealand Breakers and both of them come into this round trying to break into the top six and a lot on the line for both of them. 
yeah, huge. It's a huge game. Illawarra coming back from Perth on the Thursday, New Zealand, playing on the Friday against Tassie. You know, there's no real advantage there. Uh, I'm going to go with New Zealand, though. Yep. Uh, I think they've got legitimate playoff aspirations um, and legitimate playoff uh, opportunities. Mm. And I don't think they're a team anyone really wants to face because on their day, they're exceptionally talented. Uh, I'm going to go with the breakers on this one. Last game, another lazy Sunday afternoon in Sydney. Big game as well. Sydney Kings and Melbourne United. What are you expecting? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going Melbourne United. I, I don't trust the Sydney Kings right now. I don't think they're playing good basketball. Officially off the island. I, I thought they would turn it around at some stage, but I don't see it happening now. I think that uh, I just see too many bad signs. Um, I'm going with Melbourne United. I know they're not in the greatest form right now, and I'm not sure who they're going to be putting out there on the floor. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Melbourne on this one. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to look forward to, Simon. Looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. One more thing I want to get your thoughts on from what we saw last weekend. I think I saw just about two of the worst calls that I can remember seeing in a long time, and I want to get your thoughts on which one was worse. So there was, down in Tasmania, Kyle Bowen was called for a double dribble, which clearly was not a double dribble. He picked up his dribble and he never never did anything else except pass the ball again. So that one didn't have an impact on the on the result because it was a blowout already. So that wasn't great. Poor Kyle Bowen was on the end of a couple there late in the game that baffled, baffled him, certainly. But then one that did have a potential impact on the result was a... A missed goal ten from Kyron Galloway on Hung Jung Lee, which clearly the ball had already come off the back off the backboard by the time Galloway got to it, and it was right down the stretch. It could have brought the Hawks, Hawks I think, back within four points if it was was counted. Um, which one did, left you shaking your head more, Simon? Yeah, there's a few. There's some competition <laughs> here, and I'm not sure it ends at those two. I think there was a kickball mm. call a little earlier in the game against Kyla Harvey, where there was clearly no kick. Um, and it was a turnover, and that stopped two points going mm. the Hawks' way as well. So this is one of the toughest questions I've had this year. So I've had to try and rationalise it. I, I've come to the conclusion that I'm going with Kyle Bowen, and here's my reasoning, okay? It's hard to imagine something into existence. Mm. Yes. Which is what happened in that call. Yeah. There was no double dribble, but oh. you've imagined it into existence. <laughs> it's easy to miss something that happened. Yes. You blink. Your attention's diverted. You missed what happened. But you can't watch and see something that didn't happen happen. Right. So I'm going with Kyle Bowen. It wasn't a double dribble. No, Terrible call. <laughs> the ref owes him an apology. <laughs> Sign a card. Send him chocolate. Completely agree. I mean, a missed goal ten can happen because it's a, such a split-second thing. But when you watch the replay of what Kyle did, I, I don't know how. I don't know. I don't, don't know how they thought it was a double dribble, Simon. But... The only positive was it didn't affect the outcome of the game. It's not the greatest way to end the show, but it's been, been, it's been fun to break everything down and get your thoughts once again, Simon. Your insights are fantastic, and thank you for breaking it all down. We look forward to seeing what happens over the coming weeks and find out who makes, makes the, the top six in the end. But I'll sign off there and say thank you to Hoop7 and TabTouch for making this show possible. Thank you to you, Simon, and I'll leave you with whatever's on your mind to, to finish off. Oh, just thanks for having me again on the show. Hopefully there's still some people listening at the end. <laughs> We've been on it for a little while, but um, yeah, look, I think it's an amazing round coming up and, and we, you know, like it, it can be a bit of a slog sometimes, the length of a season, um, but we're, we're about to hit the home straight and uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting times for some teams and there's going to be some teams that are going to feel a little bit unlucky, but 
I don't think there's going to be any unlucky teams this year. I think we're going to see some sub-500 teams play finals and maybe even a 500 team or sub-500 team finish top four. Um, so there won't be anyone who's out of, out of luck. There'll just be teams who miss out. He'll make it for sure. Now that's why I backed him on Tap Touch. Hey, Luke. Yes, Gene Simmons. He's probably the best when it comes to this stuff. Thanks, Gene. You've got the touch. You got the touch. You got the power. Got the touch? Choose Tap Touch. Better your bet. Download the app today. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call 1 800 858 858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au.